Hello, and welcome to your next episode of Fixing Fitness with Kelly, the show that serves up real talk about fitness with a focus on why traditional fitspo just doesn't serve women in their 30s. Let's talk about what we can really do to get results that make all the effort worth it. Get more on the website at kellymarieroach.com, including exclusive access to my head-to-toe mobility routine when you download my free guide to the five worst exercise cues in the fitness industry. And tune into the Kelly M. Roach YouTube channel for weekly videos offering fresh perspectives on fixing fitness topics. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back for season three, episode one of the Fixing Fitness with Kelly podcast. And today I have got an axe to grind. We need to talk about fitness industry marketing and its relationship to diet culture. In season two, I talked a little bit about diet culture, and I want to dig my teeth back into that here today because it's becoming rampant. And it's one of those things where once you wake up to it, once you see what the fitness industry is doing, what's going on, what it is sort of planting in your brain without you even being aware of it, it becomes much easier to break it down, push back against it, and take ourselves to a place where fitness is about actual fitness not what diet culture has told us it is about. So I don't want to delay any further. Let's jump right into this and talk about how the fitness industry's marketing is brainwashing you. In season two, I touched on the newly mainstream concept of diet culture. The internet definition of diet culture is a set of beliefs that values thinness, appearance, and shape above health and well-being. Typically, these beliefs are associated with restricted eating habits, negative self-talk, normalized obsessiveness around food and exercise, and even anxiety about the social and physical consequences of failing to engage in any of these behaviors. But where do the beliefs that drive these behaviors even come from? It's really not that big of a puzzle. For our entire lives, mainstream media has pummeled us with messages that glorify thinness. And note, I do mean thinness, not fitness. It was in magazines that we grew up with. It was in every television show and movie. It was in the social stigmas about weight gain and letting yourself go. It was in the fashion industry where every single trend favored skinny women. It was in the insidious idea that famous women who were thin were beautiful, but famous women who were fat had to be funny. And if you were especially unlucky, it might have come directly from family members. Mothers and grandmothers urging you to play outside instead of having a snack. Asking you if you were really going to eat something even though you just had a meal. Admonishing you with catchy little phrases like, a moment on the lips, but a lifetime on the hips. Tugging your t-shirt down to cover up your waist as though you should be ashamed of it. I could go on, but hopefully a dozen examples of diet culture in action have resonated with most of you. So now as adults, we've spent a lifetime being obsessed with making ourselves thinner, body shaming those who are overweight while secretly hating those who are genetically predisposed to thinness. And all of this fuels the fitness industry to the tune of billions of dollars a year. Depending on which source you look at, the fitness industry as a whole had a market value of between 87 and $100 billion in 2022, 
and is expected to grow a whopping 171.75% by 2028. And here's why that is so annoying. Fitness marketing tactics have not changed in decades. Now, in any other industry, if you don't pivot and adapt your marketing strategy to meet the evolving needs of your client base, your business is going to dry up. But the fitness industry gets to be ridiculously lazy about this because diet culture is doing all of its marketing for it. Think about this. The vast majority of Fitspo Instagram bios I check promise something like, I help women get results, or I help women achieve their dream body, or even a simple get fit with me. Now, results, dream body, and fit are never defined. Why not? Because they don't have to be. We've already been fed image after image after image of what results should look like, of what our ideal or dream body should be, and how being fit really just means being thin. None of these trainers are doing anything different from one another. They themselves are likely caught up in diet culture and have just leveraged their own endless journey to achieve this nebulous ideal into a business. Many of them sing the praises of discipline and claim that they just prioritize their nutrition to look the way that they do, which is more or less competition-level shredded year-round. And it's hard not to believe them. After all, where is the line between prioritizing nutrition and exercise and disordered eating habits? And the answer to this one is definitely unique to the individual, but I think in broad strokes, we can identify that line with one word binging. There is a Fitspo account I follow on Instagram that recently posted side-by-side shots from being on vacation. The first image was her usual extremely shredded self, and the second was a few days into her vacation where all her muscle definition had been bloated away. And the caption was emphasizing how this was normal when you go on vacation. She talked about how it's common for her to gain up to eight pounds when she goes on vacation, But it's okay since it's not fat gain. It's just bloat. And after a few days of getting back to a normal routine, it'll all go away. Now, when I see posts like this, all I can think of is when Shakespeare wrote, Thou doth protest too much. Which, for my non-Shakespearean listeners, translates to, The harder you argue a point, the more I think it's you that you're trying to convince. Because here's the thing. If you have a healthy relationship with food and with your body, you don't binge to the tune of eight pounds of uncomfortable bloating and digestive issues when you're on vacation. Behavior like this is a telltale sign of extremely restrictive eating habits. When you have the opportunity to lift those restrictions, you seize them and end up binging. Think about trick-or-treaters on Halloween. Now, in my house growing up, once October hit, my mother started stockpiling candy for trick-or-treat. But we were never allowed to open those bags of candy to have any. Those were for the trick-or-treaters, she told us, and we would get ours come Halloween. Now, I'm sure on some level she was just trying to make sure that all the candy she bought wouldn't disappear over the course of the month so she'd have to buy more. But the effect of this was that October was basically a no-candy month. We were more or less restricted from eating sweets until the night of trick-or-treat. 
And it's no secret to anyone who watches kids on trick-or-treat night that they go ballistic. Yes, the costumes and the festivities add to the hype, but the real goal is to get as much candy as physically possible, which they will then binge for the next several days unless the parents step back in to regulate their intake. It's a period of restriction followed by no-holds-barred access, i.e. a binge, and since they don't know anything other than those two extremes, the parents have to regulate them again. As adults, this vacation binging behavior is the same thing. If you restrict yourself all the time, you don't know how to enjoy these so-called treats in a way that feels good to your body. So when you give yourself access to them, you're going to go hog wild without paying attention to how it's making your body feel. But if you don't restrict yourself from enjoying all foods year-round, you can establish a relationship with your body that lets you know when you've had enough so you can more or less maintain your usual diet even when you're on vacation. Of course you're going to have the fancy cocktail, order the extra appetizer, and hit up that dessert buffet. But you aren't acting like the kid on Halloween who hasn't been allowed to have chocolate all month and knows she's not getting chocolate again until Easter. So you're more likely to enjoy it without binging because you know you don't need to desperately stuff it all in. It's available to you all the time because you don't restrict. And honestly, doesn't that sound better? To know that you can have a couple of cookies with your afternoon coffee without needing to eat the whole bag? So why don't more of us do it this way? Well, we're fed the notion that one, we're only fit if we're thin and shredded, and two, the only way to be that thin and shredded is through extreme discipline and restricted eating. Further, much of this disordered eating is disguised in principles that seem to make sense. For example, there's lots of studies demonstrating correlations between prepackaged foods and different lifestyle diseases. So it seems like an intelligent step to eliminate those foods from your diet because you're health conscious, and being very thin is just a byproduct of that choice. And I do think there are people who truly do choose this lifestyle. But you know how you tell the difference? They're not binging on all of those prepackaged foods as soon as they have the opportunity. Now, unfortunately, on social media, it's impossible to know whether that's happening unless they post about it. And this is one of the biggest dangers of social media. Fitness accounts who do this can hide it. So if you're following their example, determined to look on the outside like a well-disciplined, health-minded individual, while suffering from a poor relationship with food in the background, what is that doing for your health, both physical and mental? And even worse, do you care? Or does it not matter because diet culture has you convinced that as long as you look a certain way, the rest doesn't matter? Do you see how this is a dangerous recipe for not only developing disordered eating habits, but normalizing them? Because it truly seems impossible to maintain a shredded, thin physique and have a healthy approach to eating without restrictions. And if restrictions and extreme discipline with food are the only way to achieve that diet culture image of fitness and beauty, what are you supposed to do? 
This is the biggest freaking tightrope in the world, and we are all on it. Because I don't believe that anyone really wants to be that disciplined when it comes to what they eat, and yet we've all been conditioned to believe that we want our bodies to look like we are. And I will go so far as to say that any woman who claims that she's never felt this in her entire life is lying. And the fitness industry knows it. Every program, influencer, and company is telling you that they have the solution to that impossible balancing act by hiding the truth and perpetuating the idea that to be fit, you have to be thin and shredded. So what would happen if fitness was measured less by what we look like and more by how we feel, how effortless our relationship with food is, how capable our bodies are, how strong and nimble our muscles and joints are, our posture, our balance, reductions in stress and anxiety, how confident we feel. Because when you get down to the real question here, what benefit does it give us? What does it add to our lives to force our bodies to look thin and shredded if we are happily, truly fit by a healthier form of measurement? The only benefit, truthfully, is that we are showing the world we've achieved what diet culture has told us we should achieve. But diet culture is, figuratively, a cancer. And by that, I mean something malignant that spreads destructively. Continuing to feed into it, unquestioned, unchallenged, is just doing long-term harm to ourselves. Overcoming this would require shifting what we care about, what our culture cares about, away from thinness and toward overall health and well-being. But I'm willing to bet that something deep inside you panics a little when I say, stop caring about being thin. Because we've been brainwashed for a lifetime. We've been taught to believe that it is possible and even healthy to be disciplined with our exercise and restrict what we eat. And of course, exercise is important. Prioritizing nutrition is important, but not with the goal of being thin and meeting a social standard. That is the difference. That is the mindset flip that we need to execute. And it's the flip that the fitness industry doesn't want us to make. Because if we learn to move and to eat for real fitness and not thinness, then this stops being a mega billion dollar industry. Because you can reach your new fitness ideal in a realistic, sustainable way and get off the metaphorical treadmill that keeps you racing toward a goal that cannot be achieved in a physically and mentally healthy way. There is so much work to do on this front and it starts with recognizing the issue for what it is so we know when to push back. This episode clearly has me so fired up, and you can ask some of my close friends. One of my friends and I, we send Marco Polos to each other every day to check in, and this is an ongoing conversation that we have. And that question that I asked in the episode, what does it benefit you to get your body looking like this cultural fitness ideal? 
And the answers that kind of come up, sort of the stock answers are, well, I want it to show how much work I put into my fitness. I want to look as fit as I feel. And even there again, you can hear it in the answers. You want it to show to whom and in what way. And why is the only way to show that you're fit to look like you are extremely shredded, right? Why does looking as fit as you feel mean looking extremely shredded? If you feel very healthy and strong and nimble and fit, what benefit is it giving you? And it truly is what I said in the episode. The benefit is just showing the world that you have lived up to this cultural expectation of you, which is kind of bullshit. The fact that we believe that we have to look a certain way to prove that we're fit. And it's a lot to unlearn. It's a lot to push back against and recognize that you can feel good and feel fit and look fit in a healthy body. And everyone's healthy body is going to look a little bit different. Like, I don't know if anybody listening watches uh, The Challenge USA, but the women on that show are powerhouses of fitness. And there's not a single one of them that looks like half of the Fitspo accounts I see on Instagram that are just like shredded down to nothingness, almost to the point where they really don't have that much muscle. They're just so skinny that they look like they have muscle. And those women on the challenge, what their fittest body looks like is probably not what my fittest body or your fittest body is going to look like. And so this diet culture ideal that makes us think we should all be forcing our bodies into this image, which I know you have in your head right now. That's what I was getting at with the fitness marketing thing. I don't even need to explain it in any level of detail because you all know because it has been planted in our brains and festering there for decades. So it is something to get fired up about. It is something to wake up about and reconsider in your own life and start pushing back against it because it's for your health. It's for your health and for your well-being, not for being as skinny as you can be, not for proving to the Instagram gods that you are a fit person. So... Walk away with this one. This was a big premiere for season three. I hope that you enjoyed. Follow along to the podcast for more episodes this season. I will be back next week with a new one. And in the meantime, you can find me over on Instagram at kellym.roach, addressing all facets of fitness. I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks so much for listening. I'll catch you next week. 